the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, The Finance Ghost and Mohamed Nala. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. In addition to our weekly free show that you know and love, we have now launched Magic Markets Premium, a weekly show for our subscribers in which we give detailed analysis on global stocks. Every premium show is accompanied by a report covering the company's strategic drivers, its operating environment, its competitors, bull versus bear case, technical trading indicators, and a long-term investment thesis. At just 99 Rand per month, we are committed to making institutional-level analysis affordable for all investors and traders. Visit magic-markets.com to go premium and unlock your full potential in the markets. This podcast is brought to you by Herenia Capital Advisors, a registered financial services provider, FSP number 47080. Herenia Capital Advisors is setting the new standard for stockbroking services. Herenia is by traders, for traders. Visit herenia.co.za to find out more. Welcome to episode 109 of Magic Markets. It's nearly the end of January. This year is in full swing. The markets are doing all kinds of funny things and we've got a great guest with us today to help us you know, unpack some of that as we usually do. But before I welcome our guest, Mo, hello all the way from Canada, complaining about having no sunshine. I feel terribly sorry for you. While I have no electricity, you can actually hear that the pity is just dripping off my voice here at every opportunity, can't you? Oh, it's always a pleasure doing this with you. And uh, you know, that's the delicate trade-off we always have is you have no electricity, I have electricity, but you have tons of sunshine and I have none of that. I think it's been over the last month, if I've seen the sun for like three days, which is a little bit different and it's okay when you get some snow, but we haven't had a, a lot of that either. So just a weird, uh, a weird climatic situation up here, but uh, we'll survive. If, if only there was a way to turn sunshine into electricity. Imagine <laughs> what we could do as yeah. a country. If only there was a way, if anyone knows a way. Please do email the government and point it out. We, we are definitely not going to turn this into an ESCOM show. We're not going to turn this into a load shedding show. That's why I think now is a great time to actually line up what we are talking about this week. Because, you know, the year's just kicked off. We've got such interesting markets. Things are sitting at record highs in South Africa. The U.S. not looking too terrible either. And we want to unpack all of that as well as where we think that's going to go with our guest today, Pietri Redlinges from Herenia Capital Advisors. Pietri, welcome back to Magic Markets. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much for having me once again. Appreciate your time, gentlemen. Well, gentlemen and ghost. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Gentle ghost. Uh, Pietri, I think let's recap on, you know, where we ended off last year. And uh, you're no stranger to, you know, Magic Markets listeners, that's for sure. And just a minute or two, I think at the end of last year, there was some really cool stuff happening for Herenia. There was some awards, which was great. Um, I think sort of the strength of the community you've built around the trading platform really kind of shining through. You know, I think a recap on that for literally a couple of minutes will be a great idea. And then I'm very keen to chat markets with you. Ultimately, I think that's what everyone's here for. Yeah, same. I think one of the highlights for me was um, we did a series of traders meetup events at the end of last year. This is something that we actually did twice a year in both Johannesburg and Cape Town uh, for a couple of years. And then obviously a pandemic put a very sudden stop to that. Uh, so we had the opportunity to do a series of events again last year for the first time since the pandemic. Pietri, I can tell you don't work for Cricket South Africa because you would have organized those meetups in Bloemfontein and Kimberley, which is the only <laughs> place the Proteas are going to be playing against England. It would be two meetups in, in Bloem, one in Kimberley with very high ticket prices, and there would be no one there. Yeah, well, we did Durban this year because usually the guys from Durban, 
you know, complain. Oh, why do you leave Durban out? Why do you leave Durban out? And generally the answer is, well, because like three people are going to come, guys, you know. And believe it or not, Durban was wild. I'll admit that uh, Durban, people said to me, the Durban guys are going to make you drink. I said, no, 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 they can't make me drink. That I'd missed my flight to Cape Town the next day. It was... That was a good time. <laughs> anyway, that was uh, that was part of the highlights, I think, from last year. We had, obviously, it was a mix of clients and, and uh, sort of just random people. We marketed a little bit on Twitter, said, look, if you want to come, just let us know. It was free to come to. Uh, we had some drinks. We had some dinner. Uh, you know, we gave away some paraphernalia or what do you call it, merchandise, made some hoodies and mugs and that kind of stuff. And that was really nice, getting to meet some people that I haven't met before, people meeting each other. Trading can be a very lonely game and, you know, introducing people to each other is something that I think is really important to do so that they don't have to go through this journey by themselves. So it was nice to watch people kind of connect and and share ideas and get to know each other. It was really wonderful. That was a lot of fun. Obviously, then also we did win one of the IntelliDex Awards in the Securities Brokers of the Year competition. It used to be Stockbroker of the Year competition. It's now Securities Broker of the Year. We won one of the Archetype Awards there and we placed, I can't remember, top five, I think, in the overall. And uh, number one for Value for Money, which was wonderful as well. So we did really well there, which I'm very grateful for, to both the team at Arena as well as the clients, right? Without them, obviously, none of this would happen. And yeah, that, I think, was really sort of the, the highlights. And the fact that we survived, man, geez, it was a tough year. And I think that is kind of spilling over into this year as well. We were talking about it a little bit before, uh, you know, we hit the big red record button. Uh, brokerage is a tough game to be in, hey? And, uh, you know, Mo was kind of joking around, this is why people make careers out of this. And it's not like we just do this on the weekends and tire because it's a, it's a hard, hard job, right? Uh, and we're seeing that impact on, you know, on the industry, to be honest. And I think one of the things that I'm very proud of, of last year is that our trading clients, particularly we're leaning towards the more serious client who really takes trading very seriously, has a little bit more time to dedicate to it, needs lots of research and wants a community to be a part of, they work together really well. And there were some really good success stories coming out of them. You know, some of the guys have been with us for a couple of years now are starting to break through to that level of consistent profitability every month. And, you know, they're sharing their trading journals with us and that kind of thing. It's really, and with the rest of the community, obviously. And it's really encouraging to see that the hard work of some of the clients is really starting to pay off. And the broader client base itself, uh, you know, amongst the, the traders, people are not blowing up, people are not closing accounts, people are not running away. They're being extremely conservative with their capital and they're surviving, right? And that is really what the key is. And yes, as a business, maybe it sucks a little bit because, you know, we're, it impacts our revenues and that kind of stuff. But we'd rather have clients who survive difficult market conditions and are still around in five or 10 years from now and are actually successfully doing this trading business, some of them even for a living, you know, than have people who are constantly trading a huge amount and everybody loses their money. So I'm very proud of our clients. I think that's really probably the biggest highlight for me is that everybody survived and everybody made it out the other side um, and how well they've worked together. Yeah, Pietri, I think congratulations to you and the team at Herenia, but also to your Herenia community for, like you say, surviving what was a very tough year last year. It was the kind of year where survival's a result, 
right? Uh, but I also think the fact that you've highlighted that a lot of those clients have matured in their journey and that they've actually gotten into a phase of consistently turning a profit, knowing when to be conservative with their capital. So where I want to go with this right now is it's something we've showcased on Magic Markets before, that Herenia community. You know, you've got the, you know, you've got the chats going. That's where a lot of the discourse happens. It's where a lot of the ideas are bounced around. We want to try and bring some of that into Magic Markets here just to showcase, you know, the thinking that goes into Herenia. And also, I guess, to look forward and say, great, so now we're here. It's 2023. Let's lift up the gloves. Let's keep punching. And, you know, let's try and unpack some of that. So as we stand right now recording this show, I mean, the, the South African markets, JSE, Top 40, All Share, whatever, whatever your benchmark is, that's close on, if not at record highs. We've got US markets that have kind of pushed up the S&P 500 around that 40, 40 points. And we're now sitting with this, this very divergent view in the market where some people think, okay, great, it's going to curl off. And you've got like two technical levels between where we are now and probably down to around 3,600 points. And in fact, we had some other guests on our show a few weeks ago where they think we see a short-term pullback in the market and then a stabilization. So that's kind of the view that we're seeing out there. What is the view in your community right now? Maybe share some of that with us and let's unpack some ideas. Well, there was a bit of a debate. Um, myself and a guy called Dan are kind of of the same view that we'll have uh, a bit of a short squeeze situation. Okay, but we're talking specifically of the S&P 500 now, right? Uh, that we might have a bit of a short squeeze situation for the remainder of this week. You know, as everybody's once again playing chicken with the Fed in the sense that, oh, they'll pivot, right? And they're not going to pivot. But everybody at this stage is kind of front-running the Fed pivot, the Fed pivot, the Fed pivot. And that might lead to this cascading short squeeze that we see the S&P up really strong for this week, potentially sort of a little bit into next week. And then, you know, when the, when the realization hits home that while the Fed is not going to pivot, they're going to stick to their plan, just like they said they would, the market might then do its final leg down. We know that the economic cycle turns way after the market. Right, I think Karen Richards actually had a wonderful tweet about that. So kudos to Karen for, if you're not following her, Karen Richards, worth following on Twitter. She did a tweet about it as well. It really highlights that, like, you know, markets generally tend to not turn until we start seeing a bottoming of the interest rate cycle or, you know, a, a change in the, in the course of interest rates. So once interest rates start sort of tapering off or stabilizing and or coming down, at that point, the, the equity markets turn and about six to nine months from there does the sort of economic cycle turn, right? So I don't think we're there yet. I think we're, we're sort of both of the view, as I'd mentioned, Dan and myself, or both of the view that we might have this very short term, short squeeze or the market might sort of run up and a bit, but might act as a bit of a bull trap before this realization that, well, hey, the Fed is not yet going to pivot. You know, monetary policy is still going to continue to be tighter. They're still going to continue to hike interest rates. Uh, and that might be somewhat disappointing to the market. And we might start seeing the market coming down again because what we're starting to see is uh you know house prices generally turn first right so uh, the housing prices in the u.s are starting to come off quite drastically shortly after that you start seeing the you know the labor market start to contract and this we've now started seeing some early signs of that google laying off like twelve thousand people and other tech companies all kind of uh, firing people so that is going to start hitting home and that's kind of i want to say still about six months away from the bottom Right. So maybe another six months to go in the spare market, which is actually, I think, consistent with what the narrative we've been talking about every month now for uh, the last year or so. Right. So that's kind of one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is where people are starting to feel a bit more optimistic. Right. Particularly around the China narrative. 
because China has been essentially on hard lockdown for the longest time. And it is becoming evident now that they might be stepping back from that hard lockdown narrative and that their economy is kind of starting to wake up. If this is, in fact, the case, which I think is quite accurate, I think it, you know, I'm convinced that that is the case as well. I think that drives uh, a huge amount of demand for commodities and potentially for energy as well. It's maybe not the best uh, comparison if you look at 23 versus 22, right? Because of the, the lockdowns and stuff. But domestic travel, you know, locally within China is up something like 580% so far for this Lunar New Year cycle, which is massive. And I think about what that does for uh, demand for oil and energy, right? I mean, people weren't driving, people weren't flying. Uh, and China's a big place with a lot of people, right? So their economy coming back to you know full capacity is potentially a massive driver of growth, particularly for emerging markets and commodities facing markets. So that's where most of our thinking is that you know maybe the developed world is not yet out of the woods. The war in the Ukraine is escalating. There's no two ways about that. Whichever side of the coin you're on, there is you know it's your own business. But the fact of the matter is Russia is gaining ground. And the West continues to send reinforcements and supplies, and this just continues to escalate the situation, uh, and it's not going away. So Europe is at war. The developed world is going to continue to tighten monetary policy in order to curb inflation, uh, and China's busy waking up. So what does this do? This basically puts the East far ahead of the West in terms of growth, and luckily for us here in Africa, uh, we have a lot of minerals to sell. So... Um, you know, we're in a good spot, if that makes sense. Except if you now consider ESCOM and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, the mining businesses are going to do relatively well. So that's really kind of our thinking for what the big theme is going to be for the year ahead. You know, I think a lot of the, the, the worms will come out of the woodwork within the next couple of weeks as we start seeing GDP numbers and jobs data and inflation numbers and stuff all for, and, and particularly revenues and, and earnings from the US for Q4 from last year. I think now is the time that we really start seeing earnings start to bite and it might even decline more in Q1 of this year. So I think we're approaching the trough. Whether we're there yet or not, I don't know. We do know that the market turns before the economy does. But I don't think at this point there's any one of us that's really convinced that this is the turn. So we're becoming cautiously bullish and a bit more interested in, in buying some long-term stuff. But nobody's yet ready to jump in and start swimming, if that makes sense. So yeah, PHE, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, a lot of what we've seen in Magic Markets Premium when we do these kind of deep dives into global stocks, a lot of them are trading at kind of mid-cycle multiples which doesn't make them cheap or expensive but when you have a look at the earnings there's more downside risk than upside over the next sort of year that's the way it certainly seems to us so that kind of that ties up right very much from the western perspective whereas china's gone absolutely nuts in the last few months it really has um, those equities are up hugely so for south africa you know people get so shocked and we definitely won't get into the politics on this show but people get so shocked when we take this neutral position on russia ukraine they forget we're part of BRICS. we're actually aligned as a country talking south africa now with you know to your point the east a china yeah. reopening um you know what's going on with russia 
So, you know, we had a we had a great show at the end of last year with Marco Papic on multipolarity and I really recommend to all of our listeners to go and find it if you haven't listened to it because it explains so much about South Africa's positioning, the way commodity economies are trying hard to actually not pick a side because they just want to sell commodities. They're not too bothered about who's on the other side of the trade, really. And so commodities will hopefully pull South Africa through this and the West, yeah, I mean, there's some there's some challenges. Of course, there's a look-through into China for a lot of those companies as well, you know, like Nike. We're covering Procter & Gamble this week. You know, there's a strong business in China for them as well. The luxury goods businesses, we saw Richemont release numbers recently. Obviously, China was down. The rest did pretty well. So that China monster reopening, it's incredible how wide-ranging the, the impact actually is. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be massive. I think it's going to be absolutely massive and i think that might be i guess don't quote me on this he says on a podcast recorded and played to tens of thousands of people china might be what saves us from global recession and i think that's just yeah it's it's an interesting sort of uh, space to be in i think there's a couple other things i want to touch on here one of the themes i think that's developing also is china has historically been a very large investor in africa just recently some uh, legislation was passed uh, in the US, which opens the door for large scale uh, energy and telecommunications investments from the United States into Africa. So the race is on, boys. Everybody wants a piece of Africa, uh, the East and the West. And the way that the, the battlefield will play out is it's an investment battle. So who are the winners here? You know, it's us. So I'm not picking sides, man. I'm just trying to employ people. So, you know, I don't know if that makes me a good guy or a bad guy, but the way that I see it is if, if, if investment keeps flooding here from all over the world, that's absolutely a good position to be in. Yeah, I mean, Pietri, that, that's such an interesting point because, again, as, as we're recording this, so first of all, it doesn't make you a good or a bad guy. You know, money or capital flows to the path of least resistance. That's what I always say. It's like water, right? And so yeah. on that basis, as we're speaking now, we've just had the Russian defense minister, Sergei Lavrov, was in, in South Africa. Yeah. Then you're going to have Janet Yellen later this week yeah. in South Africa, exactly as you're saying. You know, it's an investment drive. Hey, look, we're investing in Africa. And, and this is how it plays out. And, you know, the Chinese, if you go north of South Africa's borders, the Chinese have been cleaning up. They've been cleaning up with large infrastructure investments. Yes, mostly orientated around, depending who you ask, extractive infrastructure, highways, ports, whatever it may be. But the fact of the matter is that the money is flowing. And, you know, that infrastructure is something that gets left behind even once the minerals are out of the ground. So it's around making sure that that kind of works for the geography into which the capital is flowing. So I think it's definitely an interesting time. I mean, if we zoom out and we look at this from a very macro lens, one of those themes that we're talking about is the fact that if the West, if the developed markets are kind of curling over there in this difficult space, emerging markets are actually on the opposite end of that spectrum. Now, it's not universal. It's not across the board. So you're going to find you know, winners and losers. We've got a lot of trouble at the moment in Peru, for example, in, in, in Latin America. And you're going to see that crop up. But in aggregate, emerging markets with a decent resource endowment, and again, read South Africa as a key player in this global value chain, arguably stand to benefit quite substantially. But the, the flip side of this is, and again, I'm going to ask you the question, because for me, I remember back in 2008, platinum prices were $2,000 an ounce, and South Africa failed to capitalize on that. We couldn't get the stuff out of the ground with 80% of the world's platinum resource. So can South Africa, with its current constraints, be that labor, be that energy, capitalize on this rush of capital on this global demand for commodities? I mean, it's a tough question. No one has the answer, but what's your view at Herenia? Uh, 
I mean, see, this is where we're going to start getting a bit political. If government could just get out of the way, we could get on with it, right? I mean, look at now, there's now been some changes again to the energy policy where the caps on how much energy you're allowed to produce as a private company have essentially been removed completely. So you can't yet go out and build a power station, although, you know, some people are. 10 points to uh, AfriForum said they want to do one. I, I, I don't know if it was a joke or not, but apparently the EFF said they want to do one too. Um, so, you know, kudos for trying, both of you. Well, let, I hope one of you get it right. I don't want to bet on either because, you know, whatever. But if companies are able to produce their own power, I think what's going to happen, and this is what we were talking about in our investment uh, committee about it today. Eventually, ESCOM is irrelevant. Eventually, most people are energy independent. Most companies are energy independent. What stops me as a business to generate enough power to run my office and to run, you know, if everybody works from home? I can, do you know what I mean? Like you can decentralize a power grid by connecting a number of people's homes with solar panels and batteries and all sorts of stuff. And you can become completely independent of business, of, of, of ESCOM. And I think that is essentially what is going to happen. How many mining companies, Sasol announced, recently that they're going to be doing massive green energy projects to run their own plants, to become independent of ESCOM. And that's a good example. Like it may be, uh, maybe a tragic example at the same time, but you know, this, the energy situation has gotten so bad that government has no choice left but to get out of the way. And now that they are getting out of the way, almost instantly solutions are coming to the market. I'm, I'm going to interrupt because this has a material bearing on the investment case, right? Is that sure everyone can do that, but what does that do for returns because the cost of doing business is so high. So naturally that's going to be or have to be absorbed in a margin. It's going to reallocate capital away from the business that let's say mining company X is involved in into that as well as power generation. So what is the implication there for profitability in South Africa versus maybe other geographies? Because that's really the investment question, right? I think in the, in the short term, it's a very high capex, right? It's a lot of money to spend to become energy independent if you will. But in the long term, over 20 years, I think it should, I mean, I can't see how it won't save you money. If you don't have to be subject to anyone's price increases, no one's going to increase the price of the wind. Do you know what I mean? Uh, or increase the price of sunshine. Uh, as where power has been subject to price increases, you know, due to inflationary forces for, you know, hundreds of years. Well, for as long as power has been around, right? So, uh, I think that, yes, it does make it a lot more expensive up front, but I do think that you could probably cost it into projects, uh, you know, that have lifespans of 20 years or more relatively easily. And in uh, many cases, you could probably, I mean, let's assume a number of things. One, the country's population continues to grow. This development of, you know, the rise of the middle class continues to take place and people continue to, all throughout Africa, continue to be lifted out of poverty over time as investment in the continent increases. So eventually your mine is no longer operating, but your power station still is. You could now sell that power to the community down the road. Do you know what I mean? So these it's not like you're building a dead asset that you can only use for the lifespan of the mine and then afterwards it's done. There's utility in that asset forever. So I think that it's a fundamental change in business models that takes place. It's not just we're a mining company, we're a mining company and a power producer. And, you know, first and foremost, we're producing power for our own use. But eventually, when our use case is done, we still have a power plant. Maybe that's what they meant by Web3 with decentralized blockchain. They actually just meant we all have solar. 
basically. Look, there are some projects that people come to you with sometimes. And one of the things that we saw, uh, it was in 2021, great idea, where the idea is basically to, you know, obviously you need an enormous amount of money to make this work. But we go around and we sell solar installations that you don't pay for, you rent them. But it's a decentralized power station. And uh, during the day when you're not at home, you're at the office and you're working or whatever, or you're making five times the amount of power than what you are consuming and your batteries are full, sell your power to the industrial park down the road. Tie 10,000 homes together. Ta-da! Pietro, I feel like I'm sensing a bit of bullishness about South Africa. What's going on? I'm telling you, man, the biggest opportunity in this country right now is solar power. I just think that I, I saw a stat today between 75 and 100 uh, solar installations are being done every single day in South Africa at an average cost of 60 grand. There's a lot of money to be made out there if you're a solar installer. And I think also this is something that I, you know, we were also discussing today. Like Coronation had a, a, a contraction in assets under management. Now, fair enough. We don't know exactly where that contraction came from. You know, some of their money is invested offshore. Some of it is local, blah, 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 blah. They've kind of pushed the limits of Regulation 28 as much as they can. So maybe because offshore markets didn't do as well as South Africa, that could explain some of the, the decrease in AUM. But I'm willing to bet that a lot of that decrease of AUM is, is people withdrawing money. And it's going to either just paying expenses because life's getting expenses, interest rates are high, inflation is crazy, or it's going into solar installations for homes. I think that's what's happening. And I think that this is an exciting time to be in because... No, then maybe this is not a discussion you want to have. But I always kind of think to myself, like, you can choose between freedom or safety, right? You can't really have both. So in South Africa, you have all the freedoms in the world, but you have to be responsible for your own safety. As where in a place like New Zealand, for example, if you haven't taken your vaccine, they will come and find you and make you take it, right? So you've got, like, zero freedoms, but you're safe, right? So I think here, that freedom narrative is, is really strong because we're reaching a point where you could be completely power independent. Petri, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to ignore the freedom versus safety because I'm, I'm going to actually I'm going to actually turn this from from political back into into I guess Sorry, markets. Yes. It, I, I, ironic, ironically, right? This is the essence of power to the people, <laughs> which I think is is something that resonates in South Africa. I, I want to go back to a point you made because I think it's so critical. Is what if the shrinkage in assets under management, wherever it is, or you know, as you're seeing it in the industry? is going into spend, that actually contributes to that bullish narrative because it goes back into the economy in terms of real spend and some sectors are going to do well off that and some sectors are not going to do well off that. But at the end of the day, I think it's testament to the fact that why we have these discussions is that we're not here to flog a narrative that's anti or pro South Africa. We're here Mm. to say there are opportunities and these are going to stack up in different parts of the economy at different times. How do you take those opportunities? So yeah. I'm actually very glad you raised that. And maybe just a parting question from me, right? Is that with that kind of backdrop, with that kind of undercurrent of bullishness, which I believe is well-founded, I think there are good reasons to be slightly more upbeat on South Africa than maybe even some of the other emerging markets out there. Again, I'm applying a global lens. I want to actually hone in on that. And I want to say, we've discussed the macro are there any specific, I'm not asking you necessarily for stock ideas, but are there actually any stock ideas that come out of this narrative, this discussion that we've just had? Because certainly there must be exciting things in the woodworks, even if it's not making money now. If we've discussed the long-term payoff being, you know, 20-year, you know, what does this look like? You want me to say Renogen, don't you? I mean, we'll see what Renogen does. One of eight countries in the world that cannot make helium. I don't know. We'll see how that goes. I did bite a little bit. I bought, I bought some. Uh, not a huge amount, but, you know, if it tenfolds, it'll be significant. 
I mean, we'll see where that goes. I'm not 100% sure. They still have lots of money, eight or $900 million to raise and spend. And it became a bit of a meme stock, you know, as you guys mentioned. But, you know, the the, the, the traditional boring stuff, I think, is where that is where a lot of the action is going to be. Sure, sure, yes, maybe Renogen is going to be one that shoots the lights out. But I still like Jubilee. Uh, it's been under pressure for the last year or two, but I still very, very much like Jubilee Metals Group. Anglos, Billiton, good old Glencore. I mean, they can f- they can get fined for bribing their way around Africa and the market looks at it and goes, ah, we don't care. So good old-fashioned resources, Kumba, Xaro. These guys are going to be the guys that are that are making the money, I think. I think there's where the value is going to be. And also, don't overlook Sassel. I mean, okay, disclosure, it's Tuesday. Uh, so they put out sort of production numbers today that looked a bit disappointing. You thought, yo, if it breaks below 300, it maybe opens for 295. 300 was solid as a rock and the stock ended, I don't know where it ended, 320 rand for the day. So good old-fashioned Sassol, man. These are the companies, resources, energy, commodities, good old dirty stuff we pull out of the ground. I think that's going to be big play for 2023. I think the other thing you're seeing coming through is the differences between Management teams are on top of it and businesses where they're just dropping the ball. I mean, no one can understand Mr. Price. This latest announcement was really bad. Their sales over December and festive season were were extremely poor, whereas the Fashini Group did well and Woolworths did better. So, you know, this is, it's quite a stock picker's market, actually. Um, I had to write a, so I was one of the contributors for the Hot Stocks financial mail piece in January and my retail choice was ShopRite. So we'll see how that plays out. The industrial's choice was BidVest. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see, you know, a lot of the retailers I wouldn't touch at the moment, but some of them are actually doing pretty well. And it, it really is a nice stock pickers market now. Yeah, Willie's is a bit surprising because I'm not sure who does the survey, but, it, uh, you know, every year, but it turned out that for sort of basic everyday household items, Willie's was best value for money. Hey, so all those memes that go around about it, once you drink the Willie's water, you sort of speak the Queen's English, right? Because everything's so fancy. Turns out it's actually like if you want to make your dollars or your rand stretch as much as you can, that's where you go shop. Yeah, they've had to put prices up by less than inflation now for a while. So that's mm. thank you checkers for that. But um, they've got a very good management team. They really, really do. And yeah, yeah, you just scratch your head at the Mr. Price numbers, just blaming load shedding left and right. Meanwhile, the Fashini Group has exactly as much load shedding. And they nailed it. And now they've got energy yeah. backup for 70% of their retail turnover is covered by backup energy. Now, you see, this is that goes back to most question from earlier. It's really expensive to do business here because you've got to, quote unquote, build your own power station. But once you have it, yeah. look at the advantage. Yeah. Right? You win the business because you can do business while no one else can. Exactly. As a last point on ESCOM, I did have a bit of a lull at the ESCOM pension and Provident Fund buying shares in Hyprop. I'm like, those are literally the people who you are caning day in and day out by not giving them electricity and they have to have all this expensive backup. But hey, at least the employees at ESCOM are, are well invested in where they create problems. So, I mean, I don't Listen, know. Listen, may, maybe the ESCOM pension fund is somewhat like the US senators, right? So now that we see they're buying Hyprop, it's like the end of load shedding. Yes. Here, you know? It's the Pelosi trade. <laughs> Oh yeah. my gosh. We can only hope. Petri, I love that. I, I think we need to start looking at those those big institutional pension funds in South Africa. ESCOM, uh, another one that shall not be named, and we're going to use that as the Pelosi trade. So maybe, maybe that's some, some light, and pardon the pun, it's light 
at the end of the at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> We're not going to overuse that one. Pietri, unfortunately, that's all we have time for. I really enjoyed this because today we got into the, the nitty gritty. We got into some stock specific themes. We got into some macro themes. So to our listeners, we hope that you've enjoyed this chat. Go and check out at Trader Pietri. That's Pietri's Twitter handle. Uh, you can also find me and the ghost on Twitter at Mohammed Nala and at Finance Ghost. Well, I want to give our, our Twitter account a bit of a punt as well. We've started something we decided to do this year. Is every morning on the Herenia Capital at Herenia Capital Twitter account, we'll be putting out top three ideas from within our community. Uh, not, not all of them work every day, but sometimes all three of them work. So we'll be putting those up. So put tweet notifications on even if you want. They'll be up around half past eight, quarter to nine every morning before the market opens to give you some of our, our top ideas for the day. Hopefully we can add some value you know, give guys some actionable ideas that can make them some money. I like that. I think that's very useful. I'm going to go and add it. So that was at Herenia Capital. I'm going to go and make sure I've got notifications turned on there. Uh, but again, we've got to leave it there for this week. So until next week, same time, same place. Pietri, thanks very much for your time. As always, good luck in the markets out there. We hope it gets a little bit easier for everyone involved. And we hope you're right about ESCOM, just selfishly and a bit of bullishness about South Africa. So thank you for that. And to our listeners, we'll be here again next week and we look forward to that. Cheers. Cheers. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor.